It's time to talk sports. It's Hacksaw's Headlines. A panorama of the world of sports. Stories, comments, and opinions. Here's iconic sports talk show host Lee Hacksaw Hamilton and co-host John Riley. It's a Monday. Who wants to talk sports? We do. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Lee Hacksaw Hamilton along with my co-host John Riley. We welcome you to our Dixieline Lumber and Home Center studios in San Diego. We welcome you to our Monday bonus podcast. John, good afternoon. Coming off a wild sports weekend, we have a lot to cover. Going to go a lot of different directions. But before we do, a reminder, our Monday bonus podcast is brought to you by Dixie line lumber home and center stores build it fix it you will enjoy it nine locations in san diego county to serve you do remember the name dixie line lumber so what'd you think of the weekend because there were storylines lots of different places oh yeah all kinds of college football and baseball and nfl is going to start here soon i mean it's labor day lee but you're laboring on labor day (laughs) and a program reminder if you like the nfl Thursday, you'll want to make an appointment. Our Thursday NFL preview a look at every team and every division in the National Football League. Thursday podcast, all NFL. Don't miss it. John, before we launch with topics on the table, explain to everybody how they're going to join us right at the end of the show. (laughs) What is Fans Forum? How does John Q. Fan express an opinion on our Monday bonus podcast? Yeah, so you can get involved in Fans Forum. I mean, geez, our last podcast, it was lit. There were so many people involved. If you've got a question or comment for Hacksaw on anything in the world of sports, drop it in the live chat on Facebook or YouTube. We'll get you involved in Fans Forum at the conclusion of Hacksaw's headlines be sure to subscribe across all the social media platforms like follow share subscribe and especially on youtube that's where we put the most content and a reminder give us a thumbs up hit that button give us five stars if you like we do enjoy doing this with you john let's talk baseball baseball so the padres are they teasing us again lee what's going on here do the padres have a rally left in them padres wipe out the giants Padres are five and a half out of the last wild card spot, but the calendar is running out on them. Is it indeed? Good headline there, John. Too little, too late. They win three in a row against the San Francisco Giants. The Giants have really faded. Now they got the Phillies at home. Then they get the Dodgers, and then they go to Houston to meet the Astros, who are in a life-and-death fight uh, for first place in their division. Is there a rally in them? I'm not listening to anybody in the clubhouse. No statements accepted. The Fab Four in the month of August hit 225. (laughs) Most important time when they most desperately needed it. The Fab Four, the four highest paid players on the roster hit 225. Sorry, can't cheer for that. You got Darvish shut down with the elbow situation. There will be a second examination the end of this week. I just don't see how he can come back and pitch, even after he had the cortisone shot. Musgrove is very limited in terms of doing long toss. Suarez's suspension is now officially underway, so he's out another week and a half. 
Boy, I felt bad for Luis Camposano. Took a foul ball off the package yesterday, and he could hardly walk to the dugout. Kid has really played well. He's hitting 321 since he came back from the surgery. He's getting better defensively, so it looks like that is your catcher for the future. But at the end of the day, there's still 20 games behind the first-place Dodgers, so... I don't know. You tell me. Is there a rally left? Are you buying into false hope again? Again. I mean, that's just been this tease, this back and forth. But you know what? There's still a chance, you know. So they're five and a half games back. The teams above them have not been playing well. So, you know, they went three out of four against the Giants. Now they got Philly, Houston, and L.A. That's going to be tough. But once if they can do okay, if they can maybe be above 500 for those three series— then after that, it's easy pickings. It's like the A's and the White Sox. So there's maybe a chance, but it's got to be like 2% probability. I have no problem with you doing your share of this podcast <laughs> from left field with your heart on your sleeve. No problem there. Let's go from the struggles in San Diego to what really has become a nightmare in Anaheim. Yeah, this is just really tough. I've been hearing these comments from Mike Trout. I mean, wow. Well, the Angels in total state of collapse. Uh, Off-season is going to be probably awful, probably as bad as the in-season has become just because of the collapse, because of the weight of all the injuries. The Angels have lost 22 of their last 30. They made all those trades at the deadline, and we thought, hey, they're making the push to get there. And then they gave up a week ago when they put Lucas Giolito and a number of the other guys they got at the trade deadline on waivers, and a bunch of those guys were claimed by other people. I think it's a betrayal of the fans for them to do that. It comes off as a salary dump. They dumped $5.8 million in salaries when Giolito and Renfro were claimed by other teams. Uh, it's try, They're tra- desperately now trying to get beneath the luxury tax, so they don't have to pay more for a, a substandard season. Uh, Otani, of course, can't pitch. He's not hitting as well now since the elbow injury. Did have the plasma platelet injection. No determination yet, and it probably won't make a determination till October 1st as to whether he rehabs after the plasma injection or whether they do brace surgery which is a different form than Tommy John's surgery that might allow him to come back to spring training and pitch. But you got the Otani situation, Mike Trout uh, back on the disabled list for the second time. He's missed so many games over the last group of years. There is no Rendon sighting. The third baseman is just, this has turned out to be a disaster of a free agent signing. And now you got Mike Trout saying, I want to meet with ownership right at the end of the season to determine where we're going. And the insinuation from the national beat writers is that Mike Trout's going to say, trade me, go get as many resources as you can, put me with a ball club that I can win with and go to the World Series. Artie Moreno should sell the team. Uh, There's insinuations that maybe they fire Perry Manassian. You can't keep changing general managers every two to three years. Phil Nevin tried so hard before the thing, the bottom fell out because of all the injuries. You think the Angels were in the pennant race three weeks ago, and then every star player went down with an injury. So this, this is just a nightmare beyond description. And this thing is not over if Trout stands up and says, trade me. 
Well, has this ever happened before where a team has like released all these players? I mean, I don't, I can't recall that ever happening. I mean, sure they go on waivers, but it was literally just a white flag that they waved. So, you know, maybe this is leading up to Artie Marino finally saying, Hey, man, you know, cause he was on the fence about selling last year. Now maybe this is it because he's just, he's just given up. Yeah, he's given up. And I, I just think it's a bad look. It's a bad optic for the leadership. And I've been a strong defender of Artie Moreno because he has spent a lot of money on free agents, but he's also made a lot of mistakes on free agents and he's wasted a lot of money on free agents. And I don't like the way he's treated front office employees and what he did to his broadcasting teams, both English and Spanish. He's just kind of lost hacksaw as a supporter Hmm. and they're not winning and they're going in the wrong direction. And I, I just tend to think, Enough is enough. I'd feel real f- sorry for Phil Nevin, whom I like, if I didn't have the other friend from here who's in deeper trouble, the mess that Mark Kotze inherited when they made him the uh. Oakland A's manager with an owner that quit on the franchise, on the fans, and on the city. So that's too bad. I mean, I think Nevin's done a good a job as he could with who he had. He's got a better team on the disabled list now that he has on the active roster. Okay, so we go from the Angels to the third team in town. The third team in wow. town. The, the Dodgers are rolling, but this is a little bit outside the lines here. Well, there's a lot of stuff that has happened in about 96 hours at Dodger Stadium. And the latest is the loss of the star pitcher, Julio Urias. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Arrested 11 o'clock Sunday night. Felony domestic abuse with his wife. Second time in four years. This this is really bad because the first time in 2019, he shoved his then fiance and she fell. Arrested domestic incident. She refused to file charges. Police did not arrest. They, they, they did away with, with the arrest warrant. Case was dismissed. Baseball investigated, said no. You shoved her, you knocked her down into the curb, 20-game suspension. He went through a year's, 52 weeks, domestic abuse counseling program. Mm-hmm. Stayed out of trouble till Sunday night at 11 o'clock. Uh-huh. He was at the LA Galaxy Inter-Miami MLS soccer game mm-hmm. and evidently was involved in another domestic incident with her. We don't know whether it was verbal abuse whether he shoved her again, whether he actually struck her, or whether he choked her. But it was a felony arrest. He was in jail from 11 p.m. till almost 5 a.m. on Monday morning when he finally got bailed out. He's been removed from the Dodgers, been put on the commissioner's exempt list. That means MLB investigation begins. The fact that he'd already been an abuser in the eyes of baseball He's probably going to get a 60-game suspension into next year. Wow. Yeah. And it's it's really bad. I think what the Dodgers need to do, if I were king, considering what the Dodgers came through a year ago this time with the Trevor Bauer situation, I think the Dodgers need to do, do an intervention. An intervention with Julio Urias and his agent, that guy, Scott Boros. They need to have him tested for alcoholism. They need to have him tested for drugs because nobody does this to his wife a second time. He's an impending free agent, which damages credibility. Mm -hmm. 
They were in the middle of the playoff race going to postseason. I seriously doubt he's going to be part of the team as September turns into October. So I think the Dodgers need to do an intervention and try to solve this situation. So we got that. Then we got that headline, the feud between Scott Boris and the Dodgers over the handling or mishandling of Cody Bellinger. Cody Bellinger, MVP three years ago, got hurt in in a World Series celebration, shoulder surgery, came back, had two miserable seasons. Guy goes from a 300 hitter, hits 195 and 210, loses his power, strikeout victim, just looks so out of sync at home plate. Dodgers had an option for this season. We're not paying you $18 million a year. We never solved why you couldn't play back to where you were. So he goes to the Cubs, friendly confines Wrigley, wind, hitting 319, home runs, playing a gold glove center field. It's like he's reinvented himself. Maybe the confines of Wrigley have a lot to do with it. This past weekend, agent Scott Boros popped off and indicated the Dodgers share blame for what happened to Cody Bellinger. You know, almost insinuating they forced him on the field to play while he really was not 100% healthy coming off the shoulder surgery. Dodgers got really up in arms. The Dodgers said he followed every metric we had in terms of rehab from shoulder surgery, torn labrum. You, by the way, Scott Boros, have the Boros Health Institute, which treats your own clients with special medical outside of the circle of our treatment. How come you're not taking any blame with the <laughs> Boris Health Institute yeah. for Bellinger's 195 and 210 batting order? So the Dodgers shouted down Scott Boros, and now Boris backtracks, first time I've ever heard him backtrack, and say, well, I wasn't insinuating that the Dodgers abused him or didn't treat him correctly. Well, the junk that came out of your mouth, your quotes the first time around, those those were pretty harsh. So you got that situation on top of it. I don't know where the Dodgers are going to go postseason now. you got Kershaw and the kid rookie. Bobby Miller's won nine games. Wow. But do they have enough starting pitching if they got to rely on all the rest of these kids as we go to postseason? And if that wasn't enough, those were the Atlanta Braves that took the air out of the balloon. I mean, Atlanta beat them Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I mean, beat them down with home runs, etc. Dodgers won only one game there. So all is not well with the Dodgers. So your topic on the table is Urias, Scott Boros, and a suddenly L.A. in trouble. This is an amazing set of pieces of news here. I mean, first of all, as far as uh, Urias goes, they have to drop the hammer. They have to take a hard line here, especially since they were quick to jettison Bauer. So from the Dodgers' point of view, they have to be consistent. But Major League Baseball needs to come down hard on this, too. I mean, it's ridiculous that there can be people committing felonies, abusing people, um, in this case, domestic abuse, and still be able to play. I mean, I'm shocked that Marcelo Zuna is still even playing in, in Major League Baseball. So, they, But yeah, that's, gonna, that's a big difference in the Dodgers' pitching rotation. And what, Gonsolin is gone, right? I mean, a lot of these other guys have been hurt or been gone. But uh, go back to Bellinger. So I just remember that when he was coming back, there was a period of time, and I was spring training into one of the years, where the dude could not even make contact. He was so pathetic. It was like it was more mental than it was physical. It looked mechanical, and then suddenly it looked as if they worked with him to change his stance, the location of the bat. He, nothing worked. Mm-hmm. Let me go 195, 210. 
from a 300 hitter, and he looked so out of sync. And I remember early on when we started these podcasts, when we were friends, we were, we were talking about the fact that maybe he doesn't take instruction well. You know, maybe maybe it's on him. Uh, but he flipped it at Wrigley Field. This looks like the Cody Bellinger that was at Dodger Stadium the first two years. Yeah. Well, I mean, he does look really good now. Yeah. I mean, I know this is kind of a crazy comment, but he does look a lot of times he looks like he's stoned. <laughs> so it makes you kind of wonder what's going on. But, but with all respect, he has really turned it around this year. And so you gotta, a, he bet on himself it's a one-year contract. Yes. He goes back into the free agent market with that guy. Yeah. So we're going to yeah, he's going to get a lot now He's because now he's the old Rookie of the Year MVP Cody Bellinger. So where is he going to land? I've heard rumors about the Giants, the Padres. Who knows? We shall see where that one goes. So we got an awful lot to talk about in Major League Baseball. One other tidbit here. We're just weeks away from the start of the baseball playoffs, and those two guys are sniping at each other again. Yeah, so pitch clock controversy again. This should be good. Uh, That is Rob Manfred, the commissioner, who created all the aura of the success of baseball this year with the rule changes. That is Tony Clark, the head of the Baseball Players Association, who wants changes in postseason. Manfred and his executive committee that were creating the rule changes went public and they decided over the weekend, no changes. Everybody has adjusted to the pitch clock. Everybody seems to like the ban on the shift. Uh, the games are shorter. Uh, team batting averages have jumped up. Uh, the limited number of throws to first base on pickoffs, that's been reduced. There are more stolen bases, though not as many as I thought there would. It's going to be fascinating. During the regular season, a year ago, with the shift and everything else, Average game time was three hours and five minutes. Team batting average for all of baseball with the shift was 242. This season, time of games, two hours, 39 minutes. Wow. So it's like a, what, 20 plus five, 25-minute increase uh, or decrease Mm -hmm. in amount of playing time. Team batting average is up to about 250. So that's eight points higher than it was a year ago. So a lot of stuff has changed there. Now, the big challenge, and we like postseason baseball, but I will tell you, playoff baseball last year, average game, three hours, 32 minutes. Hmm. So they're keeping the rules in place. I don't. Do we need a two-hour and 39-minute playoff game? It's the most important time of the season. Do you, do you think they should have flipped back to no pitch clock come playoff time, or... Has it made the game better and will make the playoff games more exciting, too? What do you think? That's interesting. Um, I for, Well, first of all, it's amazing that the batting averages have gone up with when they banned the shift. But for the Padres, they went down. Um, but going back to this, I'm surprised that um, they were considering removing the rule in the first place. Because you would expect consistency from regular season to the playoffs. And especially, um, you know, the other factor here is we were thinking they were going to, you know, go back to the old rule. So they wanted three and a half hour games because there was more TV revenue and advertising dollars that they could get. So I like the fact that they're going to keep it the same. I mean, that way we're not monkeying going back and forth on this. Okay, we go from that. Let's go to college football. John and I had a really good time watching Colorado TCU opening weekend college football season. I should preface everything because on this side of the table, I have ranted and raved about what Deion Sanders did when he flipped the Colorado program. 
I am a minority of one. I have gotten bashed nonstop <laughs> on social media. I still think it was unethical to run off 76 players and tell the world, you can't play here, you can't play for me, you were 1-11, you're going to the transfer portal. I still stand that that was unethical. But the flip side of that, I could not believe how many quality speed players and the system they ran when they beat TCU. I mean, they had them on their back heels from the second possession of the game on. I mean, it was stunning, the load of skill players and the efficiency, no huddle offense and what they've done. Uh, they, they brought in a guy by the name of Sean Lewis, who I'm familiar with. He was the head coach at Kent State in Ohio, and he flipped Kent State by using this type of offense. Well, Dion brought him in as the offensive coordinator. And you hardly ever see a guy leave a Division One head coaching job to be an assistant coach, but Sean Lewis did. I mean, they were electric to watch. They were running three snaps in 65 seconds, no huddle. I was really impressed. And Neon Dion's kid, Shadur Sanders, that was impressive. 510 yards, five touchdowns through the air. He got the ball out of there so quick. He was able to go through his progressions. They just never, ever got to him. And I'll tell you, I have a Heisman Trophy vote. I guess the name Travis Hunter, Colorado, has to now be included for consideration over the course of the season. Kid had 11 catches for 119. He transferred from Jackson State with the coach, with the quarterback. He played 119 snaps. 119 snaps as a cornerback. That's and amazing. he was making plays. And as a wide receiver, wow. amazing. Uh, they got so many athletes who can run. Now, that being said, once you get video on this new package that Sean Lewis put on the field for Colorado, defenses will do some things to maybe take them out of that. Mm-hmm. And they couldn't run the ball at all, so they're exposing that quarterback a lot. So that will be fascinating to see, because up next they're going to play Nebraska. And then then they dive in to the pass-happy Pac-12 conference schedule, which I don't think is going to be easy. End of the game, Dion was defiant. Damn, he was just lecturing everybody. And he said, I have all these receipts from all you guys in the media who said all these things about how I conducted business here in Boulder, and I'm going to cash this in. And the media, media stood there, listened to the diatribe, wrote columns on Sunday and columns on Monday. And so... Neon Dion, I guess, is good for everything in Boulder. I don't know if everybody's buying it around the country. And he just wanted to boast and high-step all over the media at that post-game <laughs> press conference. It's fun. But he stockpiled a lot of really good talent. Now the question is, can, can they continue to play at that tempo? And will defenses, because you're playing some you know, good-time teams, are defenses going to do things that will slow them down and take them out? So... I'm defiant. What he did with the transfer portal was wrong. I salute him and his people because they went and got a lot of skill talent. So balance me out here. You tell me where I'm right or whether I'm wrong because I I know when we go to fans forum, I'm going to take some hits. Go ahead. I loved everything about that game. I mean, from the way uh, Coach Prime led his team to even enjoying a lunch with you at your house. It was great. So first of all, 
This is an incredible achievement for what they've done. I mean, they were a one-win team. They're going up against the national champion runner-up on the road in Fort Worth, and they beat them in the most entertaining game that went back and forth and back and forth. It's heroic when a guy like Coach Prime, one man, could come in and completely transform the culture, the energy, the talent, and the schemes. I mean, it was Awesome. And then to see him, like you say, after the post game, cashing those receipts. Well, hell yeah. <laughs> you know, and and that's just going to get all of his players fired up. And that's going to want to make other players come to play for him. So this is just fantastic. I mean, this is the great story. And I just hope they keep running the table. But yeah, it, it's going to get tough for him. Yeah, this will be fun to see. So I. Uh, you got an opinion? Oh, you don't have an opinion. You got an opinion. <laughs> Go ahead. Join us on Fans Forum. Tell you what. Tell us. Tell me what you think on Fans Forum about Neon Dion. Him, he's defiant. I'm defiant. Pretty good combination. Let's go from that. Let's go to football here in town and not so good and even worse. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. So San Diego State, Idaho State. I was at the game at Snapdragon Stadium. I'll tell you what. What a great stadium that is. Yep. And really love the amenities, the concessions, the, the sight lines, the video boards. But boy, the product on the field, I was frustrated, but they came away with the win. I don't know how you struggle against a team that was 2-20 and 20 over two years. I mean, Idaho State, granted, I, I got to believe that that coach, Cody Hawkins, they're going to win games in the Big Sky Conference because somehow, some way, he found a lot of speed that he recruited to a program that had gone one and ten, one and ten. He had kids, and his offense was fast, and they made things happen. They got a little bit overwhelmed by the pass rush, and then they the quarterbacks took some sacks, and they they turned it over, three interceptions along the way. But they scared the bejabbers out of the Aztecs. I mean, stunning thing to me. Then I happen to like San Diego State's roster and package and coaches. They needed an onside kick to guarantee they wouldn't lose to a one double A team from the Big Sky Conference. Yeah. How is that possible? <laughs> and it the defense kept giving up big plays. This is a defense that lives off their pass rush and lives off turnovers and they kept giving up big plays. How do you give up three hundred eighty yards to a two and twenty football team, but they did to Idaho State. Uh, I don't know if Jalen Maiden had trouble with a weird defense because he looked like he took a step back. He only could, only threw for 87 yards. Now, granted, they ran him, and he ran for a school record. I don't know, it was 113, whatever it was. Hell, maybe we just go to single-wing football. Hell of a <laughs> passing game. If you can't protect him and he can't be accurate, just run the single wing. Uh, 14 penalties for 136 yards. Yeah. Can you imagine? 136 yards in penalties? Only 87 yards passing. I don't think you ever see that in modern-day football. And I think the other thing really bothered me, you like the stadium. I think it's kind of cool. Less than 16,000. Yeah. And they still got 8,000 tickets for this weekend's big game with UCLA. I mean, the community seems just up in arms. or not paying those prices regardless. I mean, John... John went to the bookstore, and he wanted to buy a jersey, and he wanted to buy the his, historical book of 110 years of Aztec football, and he had his dogs and brew, but that was an expensive Saturday night. But anyhow, your your thoughts on Aztecs? 
it was, yeah, it was a very frustrating game. And like you say, the, the defense could never make the stop. And the run game was, well, with the exception of Maiden, was just kind of spotty. And this whole time, you're just like, ah, why is this so hard? Um, you know, and, and then Jalen Maiden, you know, we've talked about how he is as a quarterback. And he can look shaky and a little bit off, but, it, but he'll pull the rabbit out of his hat. And next thing you know, he's running for two touchdowns for long scores. Now, the Aztec defense had a lot of interceptions. That was nice to see. But this should have been a blowout. I mean, what it was there was only a six-point difference at the end, wasn't it? Yeah, it was one touchdown, or, one score, and they had onside kick to make sure they didn't, the Bengals didn't get the ball back. Yeah. It's just really strange. they got to make a huge jump in intensity and consistency because here comes UCLA. Now, the other story, and this is really bad, this is the University of San Diego. This is 1AA football, have had a good program. They have gone through this terrible scandal at USD, John, with a hazing incident. Last week, opening game of the season, no coaches press conference, no football media day, no press release advancing the game, no roster. They go to Cal Poly, they get beat 27-10. They don't make the coach available after the game. The media has to sort out where are these seven starters and the five backups not suited up and not playing. Obviously, they got disciplined. The lack of transparency at USD in terms of dealing with this crisis, I think, is deplorable because the public has a right to know and a need to know, and the media is the conduit for that information. President of the school, you can't sweep this under the rug. Now, there was hazing. They shut the camp down in preseason for six days. They refused to list any names, etc. But you don't promote your product, and you don't make your coach available. And by the way, we're doing our job. You have to answer questions about this situation, who and why, and how you dealt with it. And they didn't do any of that. And all, all USD's people needed to do was go back to opening day last season across the hills at San Diego State. And what happened in the Matter Rises situation right. when that coach and that athletic director got up and walked out of the media press conference with nine TV cameras rolling? It became the lead story everywhere. San Diego State really mishandled the Matter Rises situation. USD has mishandled this. There's no no call for this because you've got a whole football season to play. You mean to tell me you're not going to send out any press releases? You mean to tell me you're not going to make the coach or the players available to the media? Just doing their job covering the team. Hey, if you want to have close scrimmages for your 12 alums that care about the program, I guess that's okay. But I was really, really bothered by that approach because they got a job to do and we have a job to do. And the story is not going to go away. Yeah, that's not good. I mean, because, we, you know, it's one thing there's the crime, but sometimes the cover up is worse than the crime. And and here this is when they have to be as transparent as possible. Sunshine is the best disinfectant. And for them to come clean and say what they're doing. And, the, and granted, I'm sure there's still a few moving parts going on in their disciplinary process, but they just need to say that because it doesn't look good for the university at all. Um, so th- this is a shame to hear. I mean, not only the hazing, but the way the university's handling it. You know, and this is the same university, Catholic school on the Hill, that had a basketball scandal with their all-time leading scorer, shaving points. Now, he got eradicated from the program and all of his records were taken out of the record book. But at least they were open to discuss what they could discuss. And I understand there are limitations as to what you can say. 
there are explanations that are due this community and due to those alumni and due to the media and due uh, to the sports fans here. Okay, from that, let's talk about uh, wins in the Pac-12 on the final go-round season of the Pac-12. Yeah, so this is the year of the quarterback. Is yep. it living up to it? Yeah, it really was. Uh, Trojans uh, wound up uh, blowing out Nevada. Um Caleb Williams, Heisman Trophy candidate, second year in a row, throws for 319 and five touchdowns, took him out third quarter. Pretty impressive win. Defense continues to be an issue at USC. This is a defense that gave a pass place of 70 and 77 to Nevada. <laughs> Ball's going down the field. Nevada didn't have the personnel to stay in the game. USC put 45 up on them. Uh, UCLA, really slow start. Now, they, they started Chase Garber's kind of a journeyman backup, threw a couple of picks. They went to the freshman, and Chip Kelly said they were going to play Dante Moore somewhere during the game. So they let him play, took him out, let him come back and play. He wound up having four scoring drives as an 18-year-old freshman threw two touchdown passes, ran the ball a little bit. They had to get their feet wet. I got to believe Dante Moore's a starting quarterback, UCLA, San Diego State. Thoughts on the Trojans? Thoughts on the Bruins? Well, this, you granted, I didn't watch the games. I wish I would have, but Caleb Williams is just a, a tremendous talent. I mean, so that SC team, I think they're going to be great, but these early weeks, they're playing those cupcakes, right? And granted, Nevada is one of the tougher teams in the Mountain West, but they're not at the high end of the pack. 12 or the Pac-2 or whatever the heck it is. But I do like seeing that freshman quarterback at UCLA, Dante Moore, getting some looks uh, because, you know, you like to see like exciting quarterbacks with every program. So, yeah, maybe next week, Dante Moore, UCLA at Snapdragon against the Aztecs. Probably going to be a big contingent of L.A. fans coming down south. Yeah, he the kid left and led them on four scoring drives and threw two touchdown passes first time ever wearing UCLA colors. That was impressive. Hey, you're a baseball fan? Colorado football fan? Aztec, USD alum? UCLA, USC? Jump on board. Join us now on Fans Forum because when we're done with this, you're going to take over our Monday podcast. Hey, we get to halftime. Time for us to remind you that summer is ending, fall is here, and you got projects to do at your home or business. You need Dixieline Lumber and Home Center stores. And I don't care what the project is, whether it's something with a pool, something with a patio, something internal such as closets, whether it's renovation of the kitchen, you name it, they've got it done at Dixieline. Power tools, paint, doors, windows, decking, outdoor lighting, patio furniture, and more for the fall. And by the way, check out the monthly bargains and promotions. Just go to the website, DixieLine.com. DixieLine Lumber. Fix it, build it, and enjoy it. And John, want to remind everybody that they should subscribe to what we're doing, our bonus Monday podcast, our regular Thursday podcast, especially with the NFL season beginning and the baseball playoffs just around the corner. How do they subscribe? And again, just remind everybody who's new to our live stream how they can co-host with us in what we call Fans Forum. Okay, so, so many ways you can get involved and join the team. You can subscribe wherever you get your audio podcasts, as well as on YouTube. Make sure you subscribe there. Click on the bell for those updates. Like, follow, share, and subscribe across all the social media platforms. Hacksaw is on TikTok and Threads and, and Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and YouTube, so subscribe everywhere. And then if you want to get involved in Fans Forum, please do 
to, I mean, we got a lot of people that are jumping on board here. A bunch of names, Vic and Cowpoke and and Joey and October and Vic and Robin and Rob. And I mean, just everyone's in there. If you want to get involved in, in the uh, fans forum, drop your hot take. You're in the live chat on Facebook or YouTube and we'll get you involved. And a reminder, when you join us, give us a thumbs up. If you like what we're doing, give us five stars because we could use the rating too. And check my website because I write every minute of every day on LeeHacksawHamilton.com. The best 15 minutes in sports radio, Hacksaw's headlines, my one man's opinion column, and here's a sneak preview. I'm going to write about the Dodger crisis on my column that you can get later tonight. It'll be on the website first thing tomorrow, LeeHacksawHamilton.com. On we go because we start NFL football this weekend. Yeah, here we go. So controversies in these two different camps. Well, two of the elite teams in the NFL don't have their top defensive players in camp with their NFL teams. Nick Bosa, Chris Jones, still out of camp. Both want contract extensions. Both have one year left on their current deals. Very complicated. The talks with Jones and Kansas City, huge distance. It's like Kansas City to St. Louis. I mean, that's how much mileage it needs to be made up. They play Thursday against Detroit. There's no way he can come to camp, even if they saw this, and be able to play. He is. He was not in their OTAs. He's not been in any preseason workouts, much less preseason games. Chris Jones is supposed to make $19 million this season. He has been offered $24 million. He wants $28 million, which would make him the second highest paid defensive lineman in the league, just south of Aaron Donald of the Rams. He's already given up $2.2 million in fines because he never came to camp. He had a, con- a year left on his deal. If he misses Thursday night... The taxi meter starts running. It's 1.1 million lost game check for every game that he misses. It's a significant amount of money. Nick Bosa is making 17 million. He's got 34 quarterback sacks in the last year and a half in San Francisco. Nick Bosa wants 30 million. He wants to be the highest paid pass rusher and just south also of Aaron Donald. He misses opening day this weekend, San Francisco. Uh, he's going to lose a $750,000 a week game check. Those those two guys are integral to the defensive success of both these teams. It's weird. Kyle Shanahan says it's up to the front office to get this deal done. I trust my front office. Andy Reid is really different. Andy Reid's treating it like defensive tackle's got a sprained knee. Maybe he's <laughs> out four weeks. Next man up. Well, I'm sorry. There is no next man that equates to Chris Jones in Kansas City or Nick Bosa in San Francisco. Response? I, I'm, I'm shocked by this. I mean, because granted, you can make a case that they deserve that money, but they're losing money every week. You know, their money is dwindling. I say take the cash and then negotiate in the offseason or try to work a deal in the middle of this season. But to, to get it to this point, you're just going to create more friction, more animosity. And does it really even improve your situation when you become a free agent? I'm not sure it does. And you're not you're not in game shape. Right. I mean, you come back and you think you can play 10 days from now and you missed all a camp. I think the propensity of injury is a little bit more significant if if that were to happen. I don't know that it should have gotten to this. These teams have had all this offseason to figure a way to get these guys upgraded contracts 
It's like they're getting bad advice, I think. They're also dug their heels in the dirt, which ownership and bleep and management always (laughs) tends to do in negotiations. But, you know, if Kansas City, if they don't have Chris Jones for three weeks or four weeks, this is holdout continues or he finally signs and gets himself into camp and into actual NFL game shape. San Francisco is on Bosa. They're not the same team. Well, aren't aren't the Chiefs like right up against the cap? Everybody's up against so, the cap. So if, if they were to like, you know, figure out a way to redo his deal, they'd have to kick other guys off the roster, wouldn't they? They might, but you'd, there is CPA help out there that'll find you a way to finagle the structure of the contract mm-hmm. so you fit them underneath the cap. But on the field... On the field, this is really important. Uh, let's talk about another storyline around the National Football League. This really bears to we need to have more conversation about who that man was and what his impact in the game was. Yeah, legend here. I mean, going back to the days of Roger Staubach, right? Gil Brandt has passed away. He revolutionized football scouting. Gil Brandt, vice president, player personnel, Dallas Cowboys, uh, joined the team in year one. Tex Schramm was the founder of the Cowboys. You know, it wasn't always Jarrah's team. <laughs> Tex Schramm, Tom Landry, mm-hmm. Gil Brandt, father, son, and holy ghost of Cowboy football, and really good. Gil Brandt revolutionized scouting. Ahead of his time, first man ever to use computers to look at metrics that football players had in college and to rank those players as to what they could do, what they couldn't do, etc. Great. He's the one that came up with the wonderlick idea. Let's test about the cognitive aspect of players making decisions, etc., and their intelligence, not just football brute strength. He's the one that helped create what became springtime, indie, combine. I mean, he was mm. a brilliant guy. And when the Dallas Cowboys had all that success early, it was with Landry's X's and O's, but it was with his players that he found. And he was one of the early ones that mined the HBUCs, the black colleges across America, for talent that other schools had not paid real much attention to. Pittsburgh Steelers and the Raiders followed very quickly in terms of going to Jackson State and Florida A&M and Mississippi Valley and all the, quote, SWAC and MEAC schools. Because at that point in time, 60s begat the 70s, SEC and other schools were still not recruiting a lot of African-American players. This guy did. 11 of his draft picks in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. He was a really, really sharp and special guy. So I think everybody is knows the value and the impact of the man. The man should be getting more national recognition because he is in the Hall of Fame. He was a, quote, contributor from outside the football circle. Well, this kind of reminds me of Don Coryell. I mean, these are both innovators that made a huge impact on the game and are finally getting their due recognition. One other topic on the table. This hasn't gotten much publicity at all. Probably should. You know that guy. The Big Tuna, that's what he was called in New York when he coached the Giants and the Jets, and to a degree, uh, in New England. Bill Parcells, who's been in retirement, he's 82 years of age, lives in Saratoga Springs, New York, and lives in Jupiter, Florida in the winter. Uh, The story just leaked out over the weekend. Uh, A columnist friend of mine dug up this story and finally got it confirmed. Bill Parcells, who has always loved his guys— even when he was yelling at his guys and driving them to the playoffs in the Super Bowl. 
He takes care of his guys. Bill Parcells, out of his own pocket, wrote checks for $4 million to 20 former New York Giant players who have had all types of health, personal, and financial issues. Mm. Nobody knew about it. story kind of leaked out via a former player who thanked Parcells. That's, That's an amazing accomplishment. You know, you have the Players Association, and they're supposed to represent everybody, the Alumni Association. There's a lot of guys who played in the NFL that are really down on their luck. Health issues, financial issues, obviously personality disorders, obviously CTE. And Parcells has been doing this for maybe the last 10 years, writing checks to help his guys. You know, it was 183 and 138. He won two Super Bowls, and his impact on football— in the in the borough in New York City with Giants and Jets was amazing. And I had a coach tell me at the height of uh, height of Parcell's tremendous success, uh, you know, he'd beat you with his players. And then if he could, he'd take your players and he'd beat you again. <laughs> I mean, the tuna. I And I dealt with him a bit and I liked him. I kind of dealt with Belichick and I got along fairly well with him. Um but Parcells, Parcells was a dynamic, dynamic guy. You talk about perfect fit personality in a certain type market. He just loved the interaction with the media in New York. And you, he'd fire, it'd be gunfire sometimes at his press conferences. But he was really, really good. That, that says volumes about the person to write that kind of money checks to his guys who are in trouble. Yeah, I mean, you would expect it ownership would be taking care of these players. But at least Parcells recognizes that he wouldn't be who he is without the contributions that all of his players made to win these multiple Super Bowl championships. So good on him for kind of recognizing, you know, his family of all of his guys and taking care of of his loved ones. I mean, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I agree with you. Hey, our Monday bonus podcast is brought to you by Dixie Line Lumber and Home Center Stores. Nine locations in San Diego. Fix it, build it. We guarantee you will enjoy it with Dixie Line Lumber. John, do you think we're going to be here till Tuesday night answering all these questions? I cannot believe how many of your friends are involved in the chat room Getting to us from left field. Yeah, here we go. Let's talk about Cowpoke McGee. And he says, the recent news for Oregon State, Washington State, is that they will stay in the pack alone and enjoy the war chest and possibly steal Mountain West Conference teams. Do you find it short-sighted to do this rather than just working with the Mountain West? Cowpoke, that's a pretty good question. Let me give you a little brief background. Uh, The NCAA distributes its money to each conference based on what happens in bowl games and what happens in March Madness. They pay you what's called a unit of money from NCAA revenue. And it's paid over a five-year continuum window. So if you have your football program goes to the college football playoffs, there's a chunk of NCAA unit money that you will get, and every other team in the conference gets a little piece of that pie. If you go to March Madness and a whole pile of teams go, those basketball units go to each conference member. The big debate right now, and nobody, this is going to be lawyers that will have to sort this out. All these guys defecting from the Pac-12, and it's now down to two, what happens to the remaining money of units 
that USC and UCLA and everybody else who had earned mm-hmm. in the playoffs, the bowl games, and the March Madness, that money is, is paid out over a five-year period. Where does that money go? Does that money go into the conference coffers, even though there's only two conference teams left? Who has access to that money? Just Washington State and Oregon State because everybody else is gone? Do the teams that defected, do they get their units even though they're in another conference? This is really complicated. I think, Calpoke, that's why Washington State, Oregon State have made the public stance, Pac-12 banner, we're going to carry it even if there's only two of us left. They need to wait and see. And I was told it's $55 million Hmm. that's available in unit money in the Pac-12 bank account. Somebody has to decide, does everybody get to split that? Or is that money left behind because of the Trojans and the Bruins and Cal and Stanford and everybody else that defected to the Big 12? We don't have an answer for that. So the the Pac-12 might be really rich if they get to keep the money in Oregon State, Washington State. One of the theories out there was that if they won all that money, if they get all the units, they would take some of that money and they'd go to San Diego State and Boise and Fresno and say, we'll pay half of your exit fee to leave the Mountain West Come join us. It's an idea. I don't know if it's legal because nobody knows yet what happens with the, quote, $55 million in unit money that we think is still out there. That answer your question? Yeah, that's an interesting angle because you can make a claim, of course, that that money is earned. You know, USC and UCLA, they earn that money by their performances in the, in the tournament. Um, but uh, it all comes down to the contract and lawyers getting involved, like you said. So we'll find out. Yeah. Anybody got a phone number for lawyer's office in La Jolla? Because they're going to get some phone calls. <laughs> okay, better call Saul. Okay, uh, here's one from uh, Dorada. It says, Padres, 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 quit beating a dead horse. Well, I, I don't listen to what anybody in the clubhouse has to say anymore. I'm just tired of it. Uh, we got four, maybe five weeks left in the baseball season. Uh, I don't know that there's a rally in them. How can, you, how can you be a great team when you never had more than a three-game winning streak? And by the way, you're not playing the dead-in-the-water Giants or beaten down Arizona or the Washington Nationals anymore. You got the Phillies. Phillies roll into Petco Park. 179 home runs this season. Jeez. Everybody hits home runs in Philadelphia. Of course, they play in a bandbox. Their team batting average is 259. And that includes Kyle Schwarber's 190 <laughs> batting average with 39 home yeah, runs. Just thinking of it. So, so you got the Padres with a pitching staff that's kind of been shredded, and you got all these big bats, Philadelphia, and then then you got Houston, and then you got the Dodgers. So, I'm not beating a dead horse. I I just don't think I can't cheer for them because I think they've let the community down terribly, and there will there will be people that have to answer questions. At the end of the season, if this turns out to be a non-playoff season, I think it will. So, are you tired of talking about? It? Do you agree with them? Quit beating a dead horse. No, I mean they, they, this is a soap opera. It's turned into. I mean, it's beyond what's going on on the field. It's everything else. You know, fire AJ. I mean, everything. So we have to keep covering this. And like I said, there's still a chance that, that maybe they can pull a rabbit out of their hat and get in the playoffs. Highly unlikely. I mean, geez, but. Yeah, they still need to be covered. I mean, with all those superstars, the Fab Four, the Fraud Four, I mean, gosh, can't like not talk about them. I think the big baseball storyline now is the Dodgers and no Julio Urias and what happens to Dodger postseason hopes 
vis-a-vis the Atlanta Braves after the Braves came in here and punched him in the mouth on the weekend. Let's move on. Okay. Well, still talking about the Dodgers. This is from Joey. He says, pack your bags, Julio. You're done. Well, that's easy to say. And the Dodgers, they're the ones that took the stance on Trevor Bauer. And then the commissioner's office interceded. And, you know, he wound up with a 394-game suspension. Now, part of it was reduced. He lost a chunk of money along the way. The Dodgers made a stand. The issue with uh, Julio, his record, and I was stunned when I went back and dug this up today. His record is 60-25. and 25. 3.14 really? career ERA. That's really good. See, for a smart guy like you, you were a dummy too. <laughs> I, I was absolutely amazed. I don't know that you throw that guy out right now. But the Dodgers do have history. They ejected Trevor Bauer. You go way back in the day, they tolerated a lot of crap with Steve Howe and drug abuse and cocaine. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then they finally gave up. Mm-hmm. So the Dodgers do have history of taking a stance but I, I don't think they'll do a knee-jerk reaction with this kid until we know more. But like I say, if he strangled his wife, if he punched her in the face, that's different than him dropping four-letter words. Um, so we don't know the severity, of, but it is a felony. And that, that, to me, is significant. Mm-hmm. And baseball, baseball has a history of landing with both feet on guys that are multiple offenders with domestic abuse, guns, alcohol, etc. But I wouldn't give up on him because he's 60 and 25. What I would do, and it's going to be really unpopular, and Scott Boris, he'll be calling me to bitch about this, <laughs> and the union will be jumping up and down. If I'm the Dodgers, I do an intervention. Oh, yeah. I force the is- issue about his lifestyle and why has this happened again? Why did he go against the grain after 52 weeks of counseling? And does he have an alcohol problem that's triggering this? They have a right to know. They have a right to ask. And screw what Scott Boros thinks or what the union might say in terms of protecting the players' rights. Got to protect the women's rights. Got to protect the baseball club. Well, you know, I'm, I was raised a Giants fan. I'm now a Padre fan, but I've always respected the Dodgers. So I'm expecting them as an organization to step up here. Do the right thing. He needs to be suspended. And let the legal process carry out because it's a felony charge. You spend a night in jail. If uh, um, if if even if he's suspended from the team, he's still going to get paid, you know. So he's that contract's still going to work for him. But they need to let the legal due process go through because if you roll him out there, like, hey, you know, well, we need him. It's like the playoff race. I mean, that just doesn't reflect well in your organization. What about doing an intervention? I mean, you've been in management. You tell me, is a right right of the of the leader of the franchise to say, I need an intervention to find out why this young man acts this way. Well, I do think that as an organization, they need to address it to the best of their ability. Now, granted, an intervention, I always think about, you know, people showing up at someone's house and they're surrounded by 20 of their friends and trying to get them to quit drinking booze. But maybe it comes to that. But You know, I don't know what happens, you know, in the clubhouse, in the front office. But you would think that from the last incident that they would have brought Julio Arias and he would have sat in front of some boss, some manager and had to explain himself. So if this happens a second time, it's, you know, fool me once, shame on me, fool me twice. I think I got that one backwards like George Bush did. But anyways, you know, the Dodgers do need to address it. But I think they're. Their scope of addressing, it only goes so far because the legal process will take it the next mile.
And then the baseball process will take over oh, once that, the legal that too. process. That too, yes. Okay, we carry on with the conversation. You got you got something to say on our uh, Monday bonus podcast on Fans Forum. Write it in quick in the chat box. Go ahead, John. Okay, this is an, another comment here about the Dodgers. No intervention. Just keep them on the non-active end of year bye-bye. And Cody Bellinger, finally healthy. And if doctors force him, that sucks. But it takes three years to recover from? Well, Scott Boros indicated the Dodgers, he didn't use the word force, but he kind of insinuated he wasn't ready to play and he was on the field and he was hitting 195 and 210 and all that. But at the end of the day, they were not going to pick up the option on an $18 million a year contract with a guy who had lost his ability to play. And now all of a sudden, he's resurrected himself. Healthy? Maybe. Uh, But, you know, the agent plays a role as to where this player is physically. And if the agent has the perception, my guy is not ready to play, then they have to solve that difference of medical opinion between the organization and the player. And by the way, and I give Andrew Friedman credit, he stood up and he talked back to Scott Boros. The Boros Health Institute, your people worked with him in the offseason. You're taking any blame at all for him, quote, maybe not being ready to play? Mm-hmm. So, and, and Boros backpedaled on that, which is the first time I've ever seen Scott Boros backpedal on anything. Um, it's history. He's not coming back here. I'm, I seriously doubt that as a free agent. But he resurrected his career, Wrigley Field, and he'll get a payday. If I'm him, I think I stay in Chicago because he and Wrigley Field seem to link up pretty well. Oh, yeah, that works out really well for those guys. But, you know, you got to firstly got to give Bellinger credit for turning it around. I mean, because he has been terrific this year. Um, but, you know, I just I just remember seeing him and he was just so inept, just flailing, could barely even make contact there for a while when he was in his recovery. So I don't know. I mean, what, what are you going to do here? This kind of reminds you a little of that Shohei Otani thing where he had his own medical staff that was giving him bad advice. And now Boris has his medical staff. Well, I don't know if it was bad advice for Shohei and just the reality that he just physically broke down and he had already had elbow surgery. So. You know, the fact that the Angels acceded to the request to let his medical people handle him as a multi-position player seven days a week, that's kind of unique. But he's had great success, and now it's all kind of caught up to him. But injuries, those injuries to pitchers, they happen on every major league roster. Big time. Okay, moving on. This is uh, from Rob. He says, question, will UCLA fans outdraw San Diego State fans at Snapdragon this Saturday? Rob, I'll tell you the stunning thing to me, and UCLA fans, there's a big Bruin contingent here. Maybe not as big as the USC Trojan Club, but... They seem to have revolted against the ticket prices that San Diego State is is charging. You know, San Diego State's ticket prices are different depending on who you're playing. You know, they they played Idaho State. Ticket prices were here. They played Ohio U. They were here. UCLA ticket prices are this big Mm -hmm. because you're paying a whole pile of service charges and everything. I don't know that that's the right way to conduct business, but that's the way they're conducting their business. And that's why San Diego State... It's had 16,000 empty seats each of the first two home games. And I, I asked somebody in Los Angeles, you expect the UCLA fans to LA to come down? He said, no, the ticket prices are absurd. And that's why there's 8,000 unsold tickets as of this past weekend for UCLA week. So I like, I like a lot of people at San Diego State, but I think this whole marketing package of Snapdragon and how they've conducted their, quote, business of business, 
I think, I think it's really screwed the thing up. Yeah, that, it's interesting that there's still 8,000 tickets available for this. I, I would have, I'll bet you at least half of those are sold to UCLA fans, either locally or making the trip down from um, LA. Uh, but you know what? That experience at Snapdragon was so great when I went la- uh, Saturday night and had a really great time. Um, but you know, I, I said earlier that the Aztecs are going to solve this attendance problem by just win, baby. And they won again, but boy, was it an uns uninspiring win against Idaho State. It's not quite enough to turn around the community. Somebody needs to answer this question. You can write me. My email address is on my website. You can write me. How come student body doesn't care? How come in a community of 150,000 alumni, you don't fill that football stadium? For it's a good product. This is not New Mexico Lobo football, UNLV football that right. hasn't won bleep in decades. This is Aztec football that's won a lot under Hoke, Rocky Long, and Hoke again. Why am I having to yell at Aztec student body and Aztec alums? Just write me an email. Why the hell you don't support the team? Go on, John. Next question before we really burn this thing up. Okay. Well, here's just a quick comment from Robin. The best sports show ever. Thanks, Lee Hacksaw Hamilton. You are right. We are bleeping brilliant. <laughs> Next question. Next question is, uh, okay, here's this one's from John. He says, after all the wins by Pac-12 schools this weekend, is anyone asking what could be if they could figure out a way to stay together? Yeah, they can't stay together because it's been a money grab. But as I said last week, when we did our college football preview, Pac-12 conference, year of the quarterback. And that, I mean, that goes from Bo Nix in Oregon to the Heisman Trophy winner at USC to the kid at Utah who carried that team cam rising. I mean, it's a fascinating year of really good quarterbacks in the Pac-12 conference. And then, by the way, you got Neon Dion, no dim light right there with what they're running at Colorado, and they're still a member of the Pac-12 conference. So I think the farewell season might be record-setting. Yeah, this is going to be great. I'm looking forward to this year, and but it is weird that everything's dissolving in front of us. And and, who, and we got UCLA, San Diego State. Who's SC playing next weekend? Stanford. Stanford. Okay. Okay. That'll be interesting. And then Colorado gets Nebraska. So here we go, man. This is the season's heating up. On we go. We had a lot of college football to cover in the next 10 weeks, but what a start out of the gate. This is from Brian. He says, some people never learn. Preach, Lee. What is he referencing? I think it could be almost any story in the headlines. So I should preach or should I shut up? I'm not quite sure. <laughs> you need you need to enunciate this more. Uh, or should I preach to John or is John going to lecture me? Go ahead. Okay, here's one comment from Vic. And he says, Belly gets the swing in 2023. Looks just like his swing in 2017. It really does take three years for a full recovery. Belly bombs. Well, we don't know. I mean, it's torn labrum. And, you know, what part of the shoulder was it labrum? Does it impact his swing? Did his conference suffer? Uh, they tried to change his stroke, where he held the bat, his stride, etc. And at the times that I sat there and I watched him closely, every time I saw him, it was a different approach to swinging. He looked so out of sync. And the end result is 195 and 210 with a loss of power. Now, I don't know whether they changed him at Wrigley Field. I think he looks different to me right now wearing a Cubs uniform in terms of the bat location and the movement and the, and the stride. 
So maybe they figured something out, or maybe it does take two and a half years to recover from labrum surgery. There's no answer, but the only answer is 319 batting average where they think it was 24 home runs out yeah. of the weekend. You know, how often does this happen? I mean, first of all, you see people that win Rookie of the Year or MVP, and then eventually they fall off a cliff and they're out of that Major League Baseball. But he reinvented himself, came back. I mean, how often does someone start t- big, go down to the dumps, and come back big? Well, his dumper was because of the injury, I maintain. Mm-hmm. The question is, how badly was he hurt? Did the scope surgery solve it? How come it took him so long to get back? I don't have answers to that. Um, I'm sure we'll find out because Scott Boros sends out a book for all of his clients in free agency, and he matches Cody Bellinger's accomplishments over one given year and prior when he was healthy to every great player in Major League Baseball. Well, do you give him a long-term contract? Do you trust this? Good question. I, I would assume so. I would assume a three-year deal. Because I don't think I'd give him seven years, and I don't want him falling off the face of the earth for me if he's going to Cincinnati or whatever. But the price price will not be easy because that is Scott Boris. Yeah, it's Scott Boris. Hey, moving on, we got some social media comments here. We can sneak people in. And uh, let's go here talking about Coach Prime. And this is from that poll you ran on Twitter. And, and uh, this is uh, from SD79. He says, the NIL made this a business. Students don't matter anymore. They go where they are wanted. It's player-free agency. They go where they are paid. Uh, And Colorado's got, quote, big cigar boosters in Boulder. And I'm sure their NIL money is pretty significant. I am fascinated, though, by just the numbers of skilled people they got. I mean, they got so much speed. And then you got Sean Lewis, as I talked about, the Kent State head coach who became the coordinator. And what they run at the line of scrimmage and how quick that ball gets out. Now, they didn't run the ball very much or very well. But they they spread the ball everywhere. They sprayed it to running backs. They went down the field. And obviously, Travis Hunter made some remarkable, remarkable catches. Uh, I'm a little stunned at TCU struggled so badly. But you know what? Texas Christian threw two interceptions in the end zone. Hell, TCU could have had 60 points. They missed a field goal, too. Yeah, exactly. As you and I yelled at the TV, they left 17 (laughs) points on the field. So, I mean, that could have been a TCU win, but... They just couldn't handle the kind of speed and the skill guys. And Colorado just kept running these guys on the field. It was just, it was absolutely amazing. But that being said, everybody gets video. And I'll guarantee you by week two, week three, there'll be some different things defensively that will be done. We'll try to slow that whole package down. But out of the gate, as you said, what a hell of a story. Oh, and I think it's, it's awesome. I think it's phenomenal what Neon Dion has done. I don't agree with how he treated his players coming in the front door, but this roster, it's really cool. Well, think about this. He brought with him, what, nine or ten guys from Jackson State, and one of them was Hunter. And I guess Hunter is almost like part of the Sanders family, you know? So they have this personal relationship off the field as well. Now think about how many players around the nation are paying attention to this. Oh, yeah. And they're saying, I want to play for you know, Coach Prime because that dude, is he's all about winning. He's all about respecting his team and believing in themselves. I love this story, and I just hope it keeps going all season long. And historically, where do you recruit the bulk number of quote skill players, wide receivers, running backs, mm-hmm. DBs, mm-hmm. Florida, right, Texas, yep. And where's Prime's 
Prime's background, Sunshine State, yep. Longhorn State. Yeah. I mean, it, it opens a lot, a lot of doors. So we'll see where it goes going forward. Okay, <laughs> move on. Moving on. Uh, here, this is another Padre comment. This is from PadreFan619. He says, AJ screwed the pooch at the deadline. He should have traded Snell and Hader and got something in return. Now those two will walk free and the Padres won't get anything since they are free agents. AJ and the fake four need to have a press conference and apologize to the fans. The front office and players sure did fool us at the fan fest and the hype, and now players are quitting. I guess he won't be sending a Christmas card to the Padres, huh? Uh, the problem I have is they can't trade the contracts that A.J. gave out. That's a problem. Second problem, they're over the luxury tax. Third problem, who represents Soto and Hader? Scott Boris. Mm. So you've got all kinds of issues here going forward. I don't think they're going to blow it up because they can't blow it up. The longer this goes, I I tend to doubt that AJ's job's in jeopardy. That being said, if he is the man in the executive's chair next year, they better be bleeping playing in October and maybe be in the World Series because then I think the patience of the fans is going to wear down and will the patience of the owner wear down. So I think think Preller's got one year to find the right mix of support people to the Fab Four. And I don't know how much more Peter Seidler can write checks because of where they are already over the second tier of the luxury tax, which takes away international signing bonus money and depletes where you draft in the amateur draft. So they got some decisions to make because the support crew wasn't real good. And the Fab Four, statistically, and to add Cronenworth to that conversation, all had substandard statistical seasons compared to what their career numbers were. But the cash register is still ringing. Okay. Will it ring next year, though? But but there's a waiting list for the, the, the uh, season ticket list. So That doesn't mean you answer the phone if they call you this offseason after what you saw this season. Yeah, no. so definitely some are going to abandon. I'm with you. But I still think there's going to be enthusiasm around this because it's the only team in San Diego, right? Well, you've made a big point about that before. Um, but I know that Preller has got a plan. You could probably figure he's got a big whiteboard in his office looking at 2024, 25, 26 starting lineups. I, if I'm in his position, I think you keep Snell. I mean, he's just been terrific this year, and and maybe he's figured it out. And he seems to really like it here in San Diego. He's always on TV. You know, with who represents him? Boris. So that's that okay. guy again. So, uh, you know, but I think AJ and Seidler already have a relationship with Boris because how many other Boris clients are on the roster? John, you could argue with me, but I'm a talk show host. <laughs> Doesn't matter how loud you yell. I'm a talk show host with opinions. How about a couple more here before we put a lid on our Monday bonus podcast? Okay, this is about the year of the quarterback. This is from Dan F3, and he says, Love the content on your page, but you are really missed out on mentioning Cam Rising at Utah. I just did. Well, you just did. Yeah, back-to-back Pac-12 championships and Rose Bowl appearances. Dude is a winner and toughest quarterback in college football. You know, one of the and he's proven it. One of the other interesting guys who had a really good first weekend, uh, although he's going against San Jose State, was Oregon State starting quarterback, D.J. Uliiga. Uh, he threw, he was involved with five touchdowns, uh, threw the ball, ran the ball. Uh, he was a part-time starter for two-plus years at Clemson, and they kind of fell off the map in the ACC. But he wanted to go to Oregon State to play for Jonathan Smith and first game out of the box. Again, it was against San Jose State. He put up 45 points. So 
We'll just see what Oregon State's quarterback looks like. Washington State's got an NAIA transfer quarterback from that football power incarnate word of Texas, (laughs) Cam Ward. (laughs) And he threw for a ton uh, in Washington State's opening night win. Uh, So... I, like I say, this is really the year of the quarterback. And I didn't mention Jaden Dolores, second-year starter at Arizona. Uh, Arizona State's got a, a raw freshman from the University of Florida that's their starter. I don't know how he'll hold up when it's real people against real people. So it's I, I just think this will be a farewell swan song in the Pac-12 conference. But it is I think it's the year of the quarterback in the league. Yeah, and then Michael Penix, you know, oh, the Washington and what they did. To, and five. Yeah, and they, they, they smoked Boise. I mean, yeah. were you surprised by that game? Uh, I just didn't think Boise had the manpower to hold up to four quarters of football against the Huskies, and the dogs really did him in. And yeah. Michael Penix is Michael Penix. I mean, he is just perfectly gifted for what uh, Kalen DeBoer is running up there offensively in Seattle. Like I said, virtually everybody in the conference has got a thrower, Bo Nix, Oregon included. Yeah, And now suddenly— you got the Colorado Buffaloes and all the speed and firepower, and they've thrown their helmet into the ring against everybody. So I think it's it's really going to be a good season. Hey, listen, we hope you've enjoyed our Monday bonus podcast. We are here Mondays. We are here Thursdays. We want you to subscribe. We want you to tell your friends what we're doing on our podcast. Check my website. That's the address right up top. No excuse. If I write it and I fill all those columns, I want you to read it. Our Monday bonus podcast brought Brought to you by Dixieline Lumber and Home Center Stores. Fix it. Build it. You will enjoy it this fall. Our thanks to Dixieline. John, have yourself a great week. We'll talk to you again come Thursday. All right. Labor Day weekend. It's going to be returning the page, but a lot of good stuff coming forward. And you have yourself a great holiday weekend. Thanks for joining us on Hacksaw's Headlines. Join us again for Hacksaw's Headlines on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And find the audio version on your favorite podcast app. For more content, go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com.